we'll turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, pastor asked me this afternoon uh, after the fellowship this morning. He wasn't sure how he was going to feel this evening. And, and uh, so we probably will get out soon tonight. And, uh, but uh, I want to share just a few thoughts with you this evening. A wise man said to at one time that smart people will learn from their mistakes, but wise people will learn from other people's mistakes. And I think it's interesting that God gives us so many picture examples in the Bible of things to do and things not to do, and uh, illustrations and examples for us to follow. And I thank the Lord for those. And tonight we're going to look at uh, two men that are not very well known in Scripture. And in fact, uh, one of them is only mentioned, as far as I know, only twice in the Scriptures, but just a tremendous testimony that is given about his life. And um, we'll take a few moments to look at that this evening. Colossians chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse number 10 as Paul kind of sums up his letter and begins to issue some salutations and uh, greetings to folks that he wants to uh, name specifically and, and folks that are with him that are also sending their greeting to the church in uh, Colossae. And so we find in verse number 10 of chapter 4, that he begins to list these. As he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, uh, touching whom ye received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea, and them in Hierapolis, uh, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Father, we pray that you will bless the message tonight, and Lord, that we could learn some valuable truths from your word. Uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct and have a free reign and free course in our lives this evening. Father, as we come to your word, I pray that you would help our hearts to already have made its decision that we will uh, seek for your truth in your word and that we will already be willing and yielded to follow it. And so, Father, we ask that you would guide and direct this evening. Uh, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit has... Uh, been clear enough with me to know that this is the message for the evening tonight, and I pray that uh, because of that you would uh, have free reign and free course this evening. And so, Father, we ask that you'll be honored and glorified in everything we do here this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. We get to verse number 10 of chapter 4, and we find a man here by the name of Aristarchus, and he is listed among several people that Paul later refers to as he gets down into, oh, verse number 11 and 12 as being a fellow laborer. And uh, Paul classifies folks that were alongside of him, that were close by him uh, during his earthly ministries as faithful uh, fellow laborers, uh, those that would uh, kind of labor alongside shoulder to shoulder to him. Uh, over the years of dealing with young people, uh, one of the things that we've tried to teach uh, teenagers is that whether anybody is in agreement with you or whether anybody uh, decides they're going to take the same stand that you are, you ought to stand strong and you ought to stand firm. And I believe every Christian ought to have that goal in their life that 
regardless of who uh, is going to be acceptable to our uh, way of life, we ought to take a stand and stand strong. And by the way, we're living in a society today that that's getting harder and harder to do. But one of the things we try to teach young people is to try to find a brother or sister in Christ that was like-minded and to say, would you follow along with the Lord with me and to stand together with me? And it's amazing how two can stand together much stronger many times than one can. Back in the, I think it was the 1904 World's Fair, uh, there was a uh, competition that was done among draft horses. And back then, uh, we didn't have all the tractors that we had today. We would call it a tractor pool. Uh, But back then, they would harness up a horse, and uh, they were used a lot of times in logging to haul some of the heavy logs out of uh, the woods as they were doing logging. And uh, the competition that year was down to about three horses uh, that they expected to win. The horse that won that year uh, was able to pull 13,000 pounds by himself and to drag that log. And the second place horse uh, was able to draw, uh, I think it was 12,000 pounds uh, by himself. I'm sorry, I got those wrong. It was 8,000 and 7,000. So the first place horse was able to do 8,000. The second place horse was able to do 7,000. And the men got together after the competition was over and all of the awards had been given and they said, let's, let's see what they can do together. Wouldn't it be amazing if they could pull 15,000 pounds together? And that was the, the buzz that was going through as they began to hitch these horses together. And so they loaded logs on there that weighed uh, 15,000 pounds. And from the record of what went on during that time, they said that the horses were able to pull them with ease. So then they began to wonder, well, I wonder how many pounds these horses can draw. And by the time they had finished, the two horses together were able to draw 30,000 pounds of logs. And I thought of that as I read that story, that that's a lot like the Christian life. Alone, we can stand for God and we can be productive for God. But many times, it takes a fellow laborer, doesn't it? Uh, It's not that we seek for men's encouragement, but how often does just a word of encouragement go so far to encourage us and strengthen us in the work that God's given us to do? We certainly seek for God's approval, and God says that he will enable us, and so it is possible to stand alone, and I thank God for that, that we're never alone in the work of the Lord because he's always with us. But oh, how dear and how precious it is as we have fellow laborers. That's why I love the local church so much. As we come together and we covenant together and we say we are one body, we're going to agree on these principles of practice and on these principles of doctrine, and we're going to pull in the harness along with the Lord Jesus Christ to accomplish His work in the area that He's given us to work in. And all as two or three begin to pull in that harness, and then as five or six and ten or twenty begin to pull and begin to do the work of God, it's amazing to see. And finally God says unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, And as we labor, we begin to see God's hand at work in a mighty way. Paul was no different. A large part of Paul's success began with a man by the name of Barnabas. I think Barnabas is one of my heroes of the faith. As he came alongside of Paul, a little-known fellow, a little-known disciple, who many of the disciples had already thrown Paul to the side and had said, listen, you're, you're causing too much of a stir and the churches are at unrest. We want you to go back to Tarsus. Could you imagine that? trying to serve the Lord, and, and the leaders of the church at the time said, hey, we appreciate your, your zeal and your excitement, but, you know, go home. You're causing too much trouble. And we don't know how long he was there for, but when God needed a servant, Barnabas remembered a man by the name of Paul. 
And he said, I'm going to go find him. I'm going to go get him uh, involved. And he took him to Antioch, and they began to uh, work and labor in that church together. And when the church needed some missionaries, God called Paul and Barnabas. Why? Because they labored together. Here we find a man by the name of Aristarchus. You'll only find him mentioned one other time in Scripture, and we'll look at that in just a few moments. But Aristarchus has one of the greatest, and I think, in my opinion, one of the most noble titles that's given to him, as he was considered to be a fellow laborer. I think it's one of the greatest things that you and I can be involved in. I said uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, I'm sure pastors taught these things many times, that uh, God chooses to need us in this world. Because the truth of the matter is God really doesn't need us. He chooses to need us. And I'm thankful that he gives us that option. I mean, a few weeks ago, Pastor preached on uh, the donkey that spoke. And God can use a donkey, so we're not much better than that, are we? Uh, During the Palm Sunday, as they were coming into town, and people were hailing him and and crying Hosanna to the highest, and and, uh, those that were critical of him said, why don't you tell these folks to quit doing this? And he said, if I do, the rocks will cry out. Do you realize tonight that God could have used anything in creation to accomplish his work? But he chose us. One of the greatest titles, one of the greatest joys, and one of the greatest privileges in the Christian life is to be known as a fellow laborer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Aristarchus was a man who was faithful by the stuff. There are other folks that are listed here. We're not going to take time to look at all of them tonight, but we are going to look at Aristarchus this evening. He doesn't have a whole lot of commendation here other than he's known as a fellow laborer. As we go down through these verses, we get down to verse number 14. Verse number 14, we find one of Paul's most faithful companions by the name of Luke. Luke was a physician and traveled a lot with Paul. And we find another man who is just generally mentioned here. His name is Demas. Not much is said about Demas in this particular passage. He's not necessarily listed among those that are fellow laborers. But at least at this time, we know that Demas is in the company of Paul and is probably on the outer fringe, I would say, of the group, the inner workings of Paul and his labor and what's going on there. And even though he's rather unassuming in this particular passage, it's interesting that he did make the list. And God chose in his uh, infinite wisdom as he inspired the Bible to be written to list Demas here in this passage. And God doesn't make a mistake in his word. When he was writing the Bible, he wasn't sitting in heaven saying, I've got so many pages to fill up like we did in high school when we had to write those long-term papers that our English teacher gave us. And we talked about using the words very so many times. And uh, God wasn't like that. When God wrote the Bible, every single word was important to him. Every single thing that he gives here, every idea is so important to him And so many times in the day that we live, we are so enamored with reading and so bombarded with entertainment things that when we come to read the Bible, sometimes we forget this, that everything in it is important. I was listening to an older Christian fellow. I love to listen to preachers that have been faithful and stood by the stuff for so many years. And I listened to one of them said, said it this way. He said, squeeze all the juice out of it. Get everything that you can out of it. And all the wisdom that comes from this. And so we find Demas here. And I want you to have your Bibles handy because we're going to look in two other places as we find Demas is mentioned. And I want us to look at those. If you will turn with me to the book of Philemon, chapter number 1. And we find for the first mention of Demas that he's just mentioned in the group, in the company with the Apostle Paul. 
As we get to Philemon, which if you have a hard time finding it because it's just one of the very short chapters or the books in the Bible, uh, it's right before the book of Hebrews if you have a hard time finding it. Philemon chapter number 1, you'll get that as you get there. There's only one chapter. And uh, good Bible etiquette says that you don't use the chapter, you just use the verse. But for those of you that didn't know it only had one chapter, we're in chapter 1 of Philemon, all right? Chapter 1 of Philemon and verse number 24. The Bible says, Marcus, Aristarchus, there's Aristarchus again, isn't he? Ever faithful. Ever faithful. Aristarchus is one of my heroes. Uh, Not a lot said about him in Scripture. But his faithfulness is impressive. Demas, Lucas, my, what's the next word there? Fellow laborers. What an amazing thing. Demas at the first and at the uh, beginning of the introduction that we find of him in Colossians chapter 4 is just simply listed in the group with Paul. But now he's listed in the same list as Aristarchus, Marcus, Luke. He's, he's known now as a fellow laborer. And we're going to find out here that Demas was one of those men that had he continued faithful on the path and serving God would have been one of the notable characters of the New Testament. We find that John Mark is already back in the group. This is after he had deserted and come back. Is now uh, profitable to to Paul in his ministry. And all of us know the story how John Mark deserted for a while and became a point of contention actually between Paul and Barnabas. But now he's restored and now he's back in service with Paul and being profitable to him. We find that story in Acts chapter 12. But we find Aristarchus. Now, Aristarchus, I want you to know a couple of things about him that the Bible doesn't tell us, but we know from history, early church history. Aristarchus traveled with the Apostle Paul and was on the same shipwreck with Paul when uh, he was going to, uh, when the shipwreck took place at Malta and uh, was one of the survivors with Paul. He had been in the same problems that Paul had been in. He had been through some of the same beatings and some of the same things that, that Paul endured in preaching the gospel. He was a fellow prisoner with Paul at Rome. Most people don't know that about Aristarchus. But he was under the same arrest that Paul was under and had traveled with Paul and had expressed his loyalty to Paul so much that they actually put him uh, under the same arrest that Paul was under while he was at Rome. And there's good chance, according to historical records, that he was also martyred with the Apostle Paul. Aristarchus is one of those men who remained faithful unto death. But the Bible says here, as we get to uh, verse number 24, that Demas has also made this list of being a fellow laborer. Now, if you will, turn with me to 2 Timothy, as we see the final mention of Demas. 2 Timothy, and uh, verse number 4. 2 Timothy, in verse number 4, uh, uh, four chapter 4, excuse me, and verse number 10. 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse number 10. We'll back up to verse 9 for a moment. Paul's uh, getting to the end of his life, and he says, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me. Some of the saddest words in Scripture. Having been a fellow servant, a fellow laborer, to have forsaken the God-led and God-called role that God had for him in his life. And can I say this, that we never hear of Demas again. 
he had the opportunity and the possibility of being a notable character, of serving God greatly. Now, it's amazing to me to see who God uses in life because God doesn't expect you to have great talent. I was listening to a man by the name of Lewis Arnold. Some of you may know who Dr. Lewis Arnold is. He's been a preacher for many, many years. In fact, this past January, he celebrated his 100th birthday and still preaching. He's a member of Clays Mill Road Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, Dr. Arnold, uh, preaching at his 100th birthday, stood up in the pulpit and said, God can use you. God can use you. Will you answer the call? Here am I. Send me. Will you answer the call? Here am I. Send me. And he began to relate the story as a young man of being just an old farm boy who didn't have much education, and God called him to preach. And he argued with God, and he said, God, I can't do it. I don't have the education. And God said, I want you to preach. He said, but God, I don't know how to get a church, and I don't know anything about preaching the gospel. And God said, but I want you to preach. And he said, but God, I just don't understand why you would use somebody like me. And he said, but God said, I want you to preach. And so Dr. Arnold said, I'll preach. In 80 years, God has used him as he continues to preach. God can use anybody. Unless we think that God can't use us, God can use any one of us. It's interesting to me in the parable of the talents that the man who got ten talents and the man who got five talents got the same reward. Did you notice that? God was not rewarding them for what they produced because what, what the increase uh, is based on is not on those men's talents. But the increase comes from whom? comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Paul said, some have watered, Apollos has watered, and I've planted, but it's God that giveth the increase. And so God understands this, that He's not going to reward based on the fruit that comes from our lives, but He's going to reward based on our faithfulness to the work. The men that were faithful got the same reward. But Demas hath forsaken me. Now, I said at the onset of the message that smart men will learn from their own mistakes and wise people will learn from others' mistakes. I want us to look tonight at why Demas forsook Paul. I was listening, uh, I think it was to Dr. Clarence Sexton uh, preaching a while back, and he made a comment, it's been several years ago, that I'd never really thought of before. He said, when we understand the why, the how will take care of itself. When we understand the why, the how will take care of itself. You know what we worry about so many times in our Christian life? We worry about the how. And we never bother understanding the why. And we get frustrated in the Christian life. The rule, I don't understand that, 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 that standard. I don't understand that, that principle of Scripture. I, I'll obey it. But we don't worry about the why. So I want us to take a few moments tonight and look at the why, because if we understand the why, it'll help us to accomplish the how. Now look at the, the verses that are given here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse number 10. Paul says, For Demas, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. The reason that Demas forsook the apostle Paul was because he was never fully consecrated. He had never gotten to the point of what pastor uh, refers to as yielding to the Lord 100%.
Demas was the kind of fellow who wanted to keep one foot in the world and one foot in the things of the Lord. And by the way, as we've preached so many times before and heard it preached here many times before, the things of the world and the things of God are completely and utterly opposite one another. There's no way that they can ever come together in some kind of a symbiotic relationship where they, where they are together and they can function together. And by the way, let me just say this very carefully. And Pastor, I'm going to tread softly here and I'm going to be careful. But let me just answer this to you. There is no reason why the church should ever resort to world's tactics and methods to accomplish God's work. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to accomplish His work. God has established a church, not an entertainment center, to accomplish His work. And so we must not get entrapped in this thing of bringing in worldly methods to accomplish His work. But we must do it God's way. God's man with God's message using God's methods will always accomplish far more than anyone that uses man's methods. And so we find here that this man, Demas, had a love for this present world. He's the kind of fellow who said, I know the Bible says this. I know the principles say this uh, of Scripture. I know that the, the law says this, but this is how I feel about it. And how often have we done that in our lives? You and I, and there are always times that we can point back to and look in our lives and say, I got to a place where I knew what God taught on that subject, but I had my own way. The psalmist found himself in that quandary. And he began to pin the words of one of the great psalms as he says, Oh, that my ways were thy ways. He said, Oh, that I could take my will in my heart and say, Lord, I don't want it to be mine. I want it to be yours. I want my will to be in tune. I want it to be in line with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Christian life is very, very simple. It's hard, but it's simple. It's a simple choice. The Christian life boils down to my way or God's way. It's a decision. And it's a simple decision. Although it is a very hard decision. That's why many times we choose the wrong way. We all seem to fall into it at some point in our lives, don't we? There's times we have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I've messed up here. I've loved this present world. God showed me something the other day. I, on a Wednesday night, I was driving home from work and just thinking about things that He had done in my life. And One of the things that struck me as I came home is that prevailing sin in a Christian's life is idolatry. And boy, when that struck me, I'd never seen it that way before. Because what ends up happening with prevailing sin many times is we hide it from everybody we know. Somebody said this, the sins of the mind are some of the most common sins that Christians commit. Because we don't think that anybody sees them. And when we worry so much about people seeing our actions, and so we try to hide it from people, that's idolatry. You know what we're saying in essence? The opinion of man matters to me more than the opinion of God. And we put man in the place of God in our lives. I'd never seen that before. I'd never understood it that way before. 
having loved this present world, worrying more about what the world thinks of us than what God thinks of us. And Demas comes to this place in his life where he's put at a crossroads, and we don't know what the circumstances surrounding his decision are specifically. God's not chosen to give us, give us that in Scripture. But obviously something came into his life that caused him to come to a crossroads of saying, I'm either going to choose my way or I'm going to choose God's way. And he chose the wrong way. Having loved this present world, he remained rooted in the world. In Psalm 1, we find that the psalmist speaks of a tree in verse number 3 that's planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And this, this tree, this Christian tree in Psalm 1, digs its roots deep. Can I tell you this tonight? Every one of us dig our roots deep somewhere. They're either going to be deepened in the things of the Lord and in His work, or they're going to be deepened in the world. All of us grow. It's a matter of where we grow. All of us are going to become stronger in our determination, in our, in our way of life, in our mannerisms, in our life principles that we use to guide our lives. All of us become stronger in those as we grow older. What are we putting our roots into? Demas had sunk his roots. Oh, I think he had some in the things of the Lord. I, I have no doubt about that. He at least had a desire, and that's commendable of him, to serve God because he was known as a fellow laborer with Paul. But there was something that was in him that loved that he loved more than the things of the Lord. And that was the world. Having loved this present world. He had an outward form, but he did not have an inward transformation. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 12 for a moment. Many of you can quote this. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. Romans chapter number 12, and we're going to begin reading tonight in verse number 1. Romans chapter 12, in verse number 1, the Apostle Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. The word beseech here is, is a word that we don't use very often anymore. Um, pastor, this afternoon after uh, the meal uh, motioned for me, I was outside and uh, talking to the McCoys for a moment, and he motioned for me to come over in indicating that he had something he needed to ask me. And when I got there, he said, uh, Brother Greg, would you mind preaching tonight? But he didn't say, I beseech you to preach tonight. And the reason is, beseech is a little bit different than just asking. Uh, the word beseech has the idea of, of with strong urging, with, with great emotion, with, with great uh, belief and understanding that this is the determination of my heart. And by the way, when we pray to God, it ought to be that we beseech God. We ought to come to God with fervency in prayer. Having a belief that this is within the will of God and this is what I'm seeking for. I'm going to take a minute, put your brain on pause for a moment, hold that thought of beseeching for a minute. Because I want to share with you the idea of uh, George Mueller. Many of you know who George Mueller was, but he was a, a preacher who started orphanages over in uh, England in that area over there. And he was a man of prayer. It's amazing to hear the miraculous answers to prayer. If you've never read about uh, George Mueller, you can read many of his different biographies. If you don't want a real lengthy one, you can read one by Andrew Murray on the life of George Mueller, a tremendous book. 
And uh, he tells how God miraculously answered prayer in building his first orphanage. He prayed for the money. He prayed for the materials. And God brought everything together and he built the orphanage. And the day of opening came and he opened the doors and waiting to see God's manifold blessings just pour into that place. And he opened the doors and all day long he waited and not one person came. He went to his prayer chamber that night and began to pray and say, God, what have I done wrong? Has this not been within your will? And it seemed as if God put on his heart, George, you forgot to pray for something. You forgot to pray for kids. He prayed that night, and the next day the orphanage was flooded to overflowing. Oh, that we would learn to pray. George Mueller was a man who was known for beseeching God. One of his rules of prayer was that when he came to God with a burden or a petition, he had no will of his own how God would answer it. He had no desire to see it one way or the other. He simply desired for God's will to be done. Paul writing to the Romans here, he says, I beseech you with strong urging, with with determination, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And by the way, that's the, uh, the reason that all of us have the right to be asked of this because of the mercy that God has shown us. Anyone has the right to ask us based on the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Isn't that what the Bible says? Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your extraordinary service. Boy, if you do this, you'll be known as a great Christian. Is that what the Bible says? Mine doesn't either. It says simply it's your reasonable service. Can I say this? Surrendering ourselves and laying our lives down as a living sacrifice is the norm for the Christian. It's not extraordinary. We've got to get out of this mindset that we're doing God a favor by giving Him our lives. It's just what's expected. It's reasonable. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. The word conformed has the idea with great heat and great pressure to mold from the outside. And by the way, the world always does that to us by great heat and by great pressure. Satan's never changed his tactics in 5,000 years or so of human history. He always tries to entice us, and when he can't entice us, he tries to pressure us. You can mark it down every time we're ever enticed and tempted to sin. It comes down to enticement and pressure. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Demas had a conformation, didn't he? But he never had the transformation. I've known a lot of people in my lifetime, and it's sad to say I've noticed even in my own life there are times that I've conformed and not been transformed. There are things that I look at and I say I've done that because it was what was expected of me by men instead of because of what God has done in my life. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. There are three things that make all of us up. What we are, what we know, and what we do. Many times we focus on what we know and what we do, especially in our churches. In fact, a lot of times when we preach, we preach on what you know and what you do. But can I tell you tonight that God is far more interested in what we are 
than what we know and what we do. Now, he is interested in what we know and what we do. That's why Paul told Timothy, study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. That's why God commanded even his disciples, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He does worry about what we know and what we do or is concerned of it. But he's far more concerned with what we are on the inside. That's why he chastised the Pharisees and the scribes. Do you realize that God never, Christ never in his earthly ministry never condemned the scribes and Pharisees for what they were outwardly? You ever notice that? In fact, he commended them. He said, outwardly you're clean, didn't he? Well, what a great commentary. Wouldn't it be great if God could say of us, we're clean? But it can't be just an outward showing. He condemned them for what they were. He commended them for what they knew and what they did, but condemned them for what they were. Demas hath forsaken me. He was never transformed on the inside. And can I say this? And this was a lesson I had to learn the hard way in ministry. Activity is no substitute for spirituality. Activity is no substitute for spirituality. We better walk with God. We better learn to deepen that walk with God. Because if not, we'll find ourselves in the same crossroads that Demas found himself in. I would like to think that if I was put into that place and that point of decision and that point of choice, that I would say, God, I want your will in my life. But the truth of the matter is none of us know how we would act until we're put in that position. I would like when I get to heaven for God to say, I'm glad you were faithful like Aristarchus rather than to hear, why did you forsake? Why did you give it up? I want you to notice what the result of this was and we'll be done. Back to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 for a moment. In verse number 9, I've got the wrong verse here. Excuse me for a moment. Yeah, in verse number 9, Paul says, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus, having, have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carthus, when thou comest, bring it with thee in the books, but especially the parchments. Here we find the rest of the men that were listed with Demas initially. And Paul gives them each a responsibility to do. And the result of Demas having forsaken the Apostle Paul was that Demas's ministry was over. He's no longer used to do the work of God. We never hear about Demas any further after this. He returns to his old ways. He returns to his old lives, his old lifestyle. But can I say this? Not only did it affect Demas, not only was Demas's ministry over, but it affected Paul. Which brings us to another Bible principle here. 
our failures always affect more than just us. Our times that we are unfaithful to God always affects someone other than us. I think one of the great tragedies when we get to heaven that Christ is going to have to wipe away the tears from our eyes for is going to be when we begin to recognize and it begins to dawn on our minds the things that God gave us as opportunities in this life that we missed, that we failed in, that we forsook Him on, that soul that should have been in our path, that we should have told the gospel to, that because of our failure never heard the gospel. Boy, can you imagine the sorrow that we will have in heaven as we see those things. God's going to have to wipe away the tears from our eyes because I don't know how we could ever enjoy eternity understanding how often we failed, how often we chose our way rather than God's way. I want to encourage us tonight to look at the life of Aristarchus and to look at the life of Demas. And to say, God, help me have wisdom to learn from their mistakes and their successes. Oh, that we would not be known as a Demas. A couple of questions tonight. Number one, are we a fellow laborer? Are we a fellow laborer? If not, let's get involved. We ought to find out what God is doing in this world through His church and get involved. Say, God, I want to be a part of it. Whatever it is you're doing, I want to be there. Thomas was not there in the upper room when Christ appeared to the disciples the first time, and he missed it. Because of that, his faith wasn't strengthened. He's known to this day as Doubting Thomas. Why? Because he missed out. Find out what he's doing and get involved. Secondly, are we faithful? Are we faithful? Is it an outward confirmation? Or is it an inward transformation? Are we serving God out of the right motive? The training that I had in Bible college and growing up, there was a lot of pressure to do outwardly. But God had to break my heart and say, Greg, it's not about what you do outwardly. Oh, that is important but not nearly as important as what you are on the inside. And God had to kind of break me down on that. It's sad to say I've not always been as faithful to that truth as I should always be. But we need to recognize that truth and strive for it every day of our lives. Are we faithful to His work? I know we're preaching to the Sunday night crowd tonight. And my hope is that everybody here has trusted Christ as their Savior. If not, in a moment when Pastor has the invitation, I hope that you would come forward and let us get that matter settled tonight. The message tonight has been primarily for all of us as Christians. Are we a servant, a fellow servant? Do we come alongside and undergird the arms of the pastor? Do we come alongside and undergird the arms of one another as we labor and serve together to reach our community, the responsibility that God's given to us? And are we faithful? Let's stand together, Pastor, if you'll come and close.